Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the She's Heard podcast. My name is Emily Jennings, and you've found the place where extraordinary everyday people from different professions and walks of life share about how they found their voice and are using it to create meaningful change. Today, I'm speaking with the styling, truth-telling, badass, booty-shaking, warrior of freeing voices, bully disruptor, healer, writer, speaker, survivor, creatrix, multi-generational collaborator, and author of Find Your Voice. I am thrilled and honored to introduce you to Sahar Paz. In this episode, she shares several moments that helped her find her voice. She also gives us numerous practices to help raise our awareness and distinguish between our automatic and authentic voice. Sahar Paz is a native of Iran. She fled Iran to the U.S. and found success only to have it slip away. Although the bombings in Iran ceased in her life, the shame and prejudice followed her, creating a war of words within that drove her towards wanting to end it all. Sahar survived and fought her way towards healing, truth, purpose, and clarity. She now helps people suffering from mental slavery. Through her book, Find Your Voice, and its accompanying online training program, she guides us to step fully into our power by embracing our most authentic voice. Sahar's diverse career in New York City spanned from banking to fashion to nonprofit. She is currently the Director of Culture and Communications at Pink Cilantro, a digital brand building agency in Houston. Sahar's thought-provoking keynotes have been presented at respected conferences such as Emerging Women Live and the University of Denver Women's Conference. Her clients range from Fortune 500 companies like Facebook and HBO to socially conscious organizations like Whole Foods. Go to findyourvoice.center for powerful tools, programs, and more information. Again, that's findyourvoice.center. So without further ado, here's our conversation. We're all a collective of stories, right? Each Mm -hmm. individual comes with all the days before her, and within those are awesome, badass moments, and there are emotionally jarring moments. There are fearful ones, and these become how we really translate the world, these big experiences. And this is nothing new. Everyone knows that humans learn through stories and my body of work is dedicated to the voice that transcribes the story, both internally, first and foremost, that internal voice, uh, because she is your dictator of the spoken voice. And if we are going to just dive in and talk about when women have a chance to actually use their voice and speak up, there are usually two different instances. There's the spontaneous moments that come up when maybe you see a woman or a person being wronged in public and you want to speak up. Perhaps it's a spontaneous moment in a client meeting where there's a level of disrespect that you want to put a halt to. So those are the spontaneous moments that we um, are going to touch on. And then we're also going to talk about the moments that you have to plan when you know you're going in for an interview or a confrontation with a lover, a friend, or even a family member. So there's a whole other set of, of what your inner voice and your coping and all the experience behind you that you don't really actually think about anymore, but they all come into play and differently in these two different situations. So let's um, start with that spo- yeah. spontaneous one. I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was absolutely. Um, you articulated that so beautifully. Thank you. <laughs> Sure. I'm, you know, I've learned over the years that sometimes when you just drop people right in, I want to make sure they have the backstory, although that's one of my favorite things to do in my, my creative writing is I like to just, boom, put them in the setting. So, boom, let me put you in a setting of a time that I use my voice in a spontaneous way. I think growing up, um, I grew up in Iran during a revolution, so it was, you know, from the time I was born until a little over seven, I saw that myself and my community literally had no choice to speak up against things we felt wronged about. That could be from our wardrobe to 
the religion we have to practice to the prices of groceries going so high that it's unreasonable. Like none of these things were, could be verbalized. No one could stand up for us. So I think that was really what stirred a fire in me. And as soon as we hit Denver, Colorado in 86, this personality, this, this voice that had been dying to be spoken and heard really did, did come out. Was it graceful all the time? No. I was probably annoying as a teenager. And this brings me to being a 25-year-old working at Citibank um, in New York City. And I, you know, always being an avid woman empowerment person, I sat in the boardroom. I pulled up my seat and I was 25 and full of passion and heat and would speak up and say things even though they were not necessarily effective. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to make sure I was being heard. That makes sense. Yeah. mm -hmm. And what followed that was a tremendous amount of guilt, feeling stupid, feeling misunderstood. They were thinking I was emotional. So this spontaneous moment also happened in my career later, more than a decade later, where I spoke up in the same way. However, because I'm just a natural progression of my career, I have more work experience behind me. I've been able to funnel my passion for speaking up into a way that's effective versus just being either assertive or passive aggressive. But yet, even though I was more calculated in the second instance, which was when I was living in New York and I was in my mid-30s and I had my own nonprofit that did programs through the business side of fashion. And I um, had a chance to partner with a pretty notable brand. And one thing about fashion and finance is the behind the scenes of both of those industries, the guys at the top, are they mm-hmm. look pretty much the same. Fashion is not run by women. It's run by men. And it's hmm. usually the white guy in the blue suit. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's very, it was very much the same kind of mentality and verbiage and tone being pushed out at me when I was 25 and sitting as a very young woman in Citibank to when I was about 33 in New York dealing with a fashion label that I was wanting to partner my nonprofit with for the programs I was doing. So the conversation there started with, um, you know we're not here just to play games or dress up. And I think through the different communications we had back and forth, it was obviously a business meeting. And I thought if this was a man on the other side of this, this conversation would have never been opened that way. Why is that even relevant? Mm -hmm. I didn't I didn't say that. However, I did point it out right away as obviously I'm here to handle real business. I keep dress up for my closet. Shall we continue, gentlemen? And I really held the way and hosted that meeting after that. And inside, during the meeting, you know, there was a fire in my stomach, but I have learned, I have learned, and I'll tell you how I learned this a little bit later, but I have learned to channel that fire into my shoulders and to sit up tall and straight and not let my voice quiver. Squeezing my glutes has a part to do with it. And the real way I learned is I made myself join a salsa dance group to perform. (laughs) And every time before I went to perform, I'm like, why the hell do I do this to myself? Let me tell you. You learn how to take that fire and that adrenaline and that nervousness and those palms and those knees and really channel it into this powerful dance. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did when I was meeting with this fashion label. And I held a beautiful meeting and the partnership closed and it was a fruitful partnership for uh, my students. However, after that talk, it was just like the talk after the talk at Citibank where there was this immense amount of guilt for acting the way I did constantly imagining, oh, my gosh, what are they saying about me now? What do they think? Am I going to lose this? Are they going to spread some sort of rumor around town, so on and so forth? Can we talk about the guilt for a little bit, for Mm -hmm. a second? 
because um, I think that's a very common response when you speak your mind and there almost like shame or like, ah, oh, I shouldn't have done it or I should have been more gracious or said it in a way that could have been more received more openly. And then I also just wonder, is that just like conditioning to keep women small at the same time? Like, or is it a both and in terms of like lashing out or like not being able to tolerate what is being said or done anymore and and then you say it and then afterwards you're like, ah, should I have not have said it? Why couldn't I have said it more graciously? The guilt seems muddy to me. Like sometimes it seems like you can learn from it and then sometimes it seems like it's stupid and coming down from lineage of misogyny. I don't know. What Absolutely. do you think? I agree. Uh, there's one thing I know through this work is there's not one answer. Um, Mm -hmm. Conditioning, conditioning absolutely is a conditioning from society, misogyny, your own experiences from your household or society. It could be uh, all these things being constantly thrown at us or just experienced by us. Um, And I love how you said muddy because that's how I see guilt. It's like quicksand. Mm-hmm. No, and uh, I call her guilty Gail. She always makes me <laughs> responsible. Uh, that's one of my tricks. One of my tricks is definitely <clears throat> identifying the voice of guilt and naming it because to this is hard work. Yeah, On, uh, finding your voice is a mindfulness. Um, it's cognitive behavior. It's emotional intelligence. So it's not enough to find it and listen to her. This is about constructive listening. This is about overanalyzing with a good purpose, you know. So um, when it comes to the guilt, I am like, hey, guilty Gail, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hear her out. Because any emotion you have, you've got to feel it out so you don't act it out. And a lot of the guilt comes from us acting it out because women, we do. Because of whatever conditioning, whatever experience, not wanting to ruffle feathers or not wanting to deal with it. We're choosing our battles, but we're choosing the wrong ones sometimes. That we just won't speak up, and then when we do, it's because we're fed up and we just blah, blurt it out. Yeah, yeah, guilty of that. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Me too. And hello, you're human. I'm human. The beauty of, of this and also, you know, one of the most powerful experiences I've had is like after feeling guilty for whatever it was, and maybe it was a blurt out that, let's say, not in career. I've done this. It could, was a pattern with my lovers, with my boyfriends for a long time, where I hold it and hold it and hold it in and then just explode. And that's not healthy for, for anybody, you know. So after that explosion, there comes a really important moment especially if, it, if this is someone that you can have this conversation with, so most likely, even at work, you can approach the person again. And it doesn't have to be apologetic. It could just be a mindful conversation. But this is a way where you practice using your voice again in the face of guilt. Where I'm, And I love to phrase things rather than come in an apologetic way. I just phrase it as I'm, mind, I'm mindful. I'm mindful that I phrase something in a way that may not have came across. You know, are you, are you willing to have this conversation again? Or there's so many ways it can be framed that you're not coming from an apologetic place. But after those blow-ups, after you're feeling that guilt, you need to label guilty Gail, lean away from her, let her feel her shit out. She's going to make you feel guilty. She's going to point the finger. She's going to remind you you're an idiot and an asshole. She's going to, you know, put all these things and say, oh, man, you're so stupid. You did it again. Ba 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 ba. Let her air her grievances. You don't have to hold her hand through it. You don't have to believe her. That's why we name her. So yeah. we hear her out, feel her out. And then from there you decide, is there another conversation that could be had? Is this a good chance for me to find and use my voice again? Because I'll tell you, from those outbursts to holding these graceful, assertive conversations, there was a lot of conversations in between. Mm-hmm. It's like spreading the peanut butter. It's thick, it's hard, and it takes some effort. <laughs> so mm-hmm. 
uh, it's a process. Your voice is a muscle. Your voice is a muscle because your brain is a muscle. And ultimately, mm-hmm. this is about differentiating who we are and who we want to be from, you know, the, the patterns, from what we even believe, from our own experiences. So uh, everyone has this, and everyone has a different remedy. It's based on your own personality, but at the same time, that personality has to do with that of your inner voice. So get to naming your coping mechanisms. Get to name the negative Nancys, the judgy Judys, the sexy Susans, the logical Laylas, the guilty Gales. These are wonderful ways for you to understand what does my inner dialogue, my inner voice, my emotional intelligence, what does that really sound like? Mm-hmm. I love how in your book you have a number of worksheets and exercises that really help the reader raise their awareness and improve their emotional intelligence and just get clear about what are you thinking and what are you feeling? And, and man, sometimes like I remember years ago, I would be so angry and I couldn't even articulate why. And the only skill I had was to just go run and run and run. And then I was at my doctor because I was having health issues and she's like, honey, do you have any other ways of handling you know all of this anger and frustration I'm like no and she was like oh dear she's like you need to like go write or you need to go so so writing really helps and you have some really great tools in your book that walk you through the stages of the different emotions and how those voices are different and how there's also wisdom in each of them and then it's also not the whole picture and to move through your your instincts to then having more choice. Exactly. I like to see it as a good blend of the feminine and the masculine, where I'm bringing the logic of the masculine to the emotions, the raw emotions that come from the feminine. And this is not about gender, but just Mm -hmm. these qualities, you know. And it's, you're going to make your mission inside based on that story that's repeating my goal is to have people protect themselves from the constant evaluation and make it more constructive. So, and you know, those worksheets, they're great. However, sometimes when people come across them and like one of the questions will be, how do you sound when you're anxious? I've had a lot of um, my readers or clients say, I couldn't really answer that the first time around. And it isn't, you know, when you read something, you answer, that's usually just answering from your brain. You have to really take time and, and understand. We think, I mean, more than 70,000 words in a day. So to be able to tune in and really understand what's going on, um, it takes time. So it's respect the process is a sentence that's repeated so much um, in the book, and I hope that whoever's listening also repeats it to themselves because we're always growing. So there isn't a fine point to having, finding your voice and living out loud. You know, you're always going to be growing as a woman or as a man. And uh, having this emotional intelligence, you're able to decipher between what's my baggage and what do I really want. The decisions become more clear. You're vocalizing them in a much better way. So um, I added the questionnaires there. And really the first draft of the book was based on three stories and just questions. And I had to toss the first manuscript and rewrite it because all of my editors, uh, one of them who happens to have a background in psychology, says the stories are how we learn. My concern was, but I don't want them to be focused on my story. Like, my story is not like a lot of people's stories. And still they fought back and they said, no, the stories are how people learn because these are such deep questions, although they're very simply written. What does anxiety sound like in your head? What are you like when you're sad? These things can be pretty, what I'm asking for you is to literally figure out the tone inside of your voice, in the inner voice of how this is said. Um, And not to shudder up because what's happening is a lot of us are not feeling. So we're stuck stuck in the feelings anyway. We're just trying to find solutions, solutions, solutions where we need to like feel it out and, and, uh, I'm hoping that by finding the voices of the good and the bad, 
people are able to cope better. People are able to find and use their voice in more effective ways, impactful ways. Can you take us to uh, one of your earlier moments where you had a win around shifting your reaction in a triggering moment? Sure. Um, with There was a time when I um, left New York for Puerto Rico. Um, I had been in New York nearly a decade, and I had a chance to go to Puerto Rico for a year, which is actually when the, where Find Your Voice began to be written. I don't know if you've ever heard the saying, you are where you're at. So, yep. <laughs> I packed all my emotional baggage and took it with me. <laughs> um, and it was great. I literally couldn't run from it because New York was literally in the home that I moved in. Um, I had an opportunity to move into a guest house that was just opening. However... It was a new business I was just starting. There was construction. There were constant ebb and flow of guests. So uh, the owner was also an extremely brilliant and strong woman that in the book I um, named Sophia. So when I left New York, I was at my absolute, absolute, not absolute, but second to absolute low, um, very emotionally drained, I had just shut down the nonprofit. I was processing failure in that as well as the long-term relationship. Um, so I was just, I just didn't have the energy to muster any words, like literally. I was very isolated. I didn't converse much with folks. You know, I wasn't going out. If I did yoga or anything, it was just in and out. I happened to living with with the owner of the the guest house who was extremely just crossed boundaries in in several ways. And this goes back to the beginning of our talk of the talks that you have when you have time to prepare, Mm, where it's not the spontaneous talks. This was prior to me really writing Find Your Voice. And I think this is really one of the pivotal moments where, you know, the relationship that I had just ended ended with one of those crazy outbursts. And I had made a commitment to, I know that I can be more graceful. Grace, for some reason, grace and graceful were like this word that I really had close to my heart. And that was my goal. Like, I want to speak gracefully. And to me, gracefully wasn't soft. To me, it meant, uh, you know, when you find a woman that can talk assertively, she's entitled a bitch and whatnot. And... Mm -hmm. I think some of that, a lot of that comes from tone. Um, A lot of that comes from how you hold yourself. A lot of that comes from the actual words you use. So for me, graceful was a big part of it. Um, And also because I don't like confrontation. Um, I I wanted a dialogue. I wanted these conversations to actually, to move people, you know. So I practiced this talk with Sophia. I practiced this talk with her because, one, I cared for her as a woman. I cared for her as a businesswoman. She really stuck my, her neck out for me to help me move from New York to Puerto Rico, and she barely knew me. There were a lot of things that I wanted to make sure I was being mindful of. And in the preparation for this talk, so uncomfortable both in my body and in my emotions there was fear there was guilt there was just oh it's not worth it whether it was me the value of my boundaries and my home and feeling safe or whether it was it's not worth it to spend the energy just to have this conversation with her or in general but it usually comes down to you and what you're worth am I willing to stand up for myself or not and it was the turmoil of all those voices that I listed, the fear, the guilt, the logic, the courage. I mean, it was just a melody. And mm-hmm. I really had to find, like, I had to find the courage to be honest with her. And it was hard to be honest when, when you're healing and the wound is really fresh, when you're going through it. It's, it's yeah. extremely difficult to articulate. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty because you need that time to kind of work it out. You don't even know how to say it. And I didn't want to, I really didn't want to say it in a, in a negative or bitter way in ter- my interaction with her 
or for me to paint the picture of what I was coming out of and why I really needed a peaceful place. It was just so many things. It was the issue with Sophia, and it was also um, having to address with her why I'm so depleted, which was a whole shame story. It took journaling. It took bullet points. It literally took me 10 days of yoga, walking on the beach, and practicing of, of reminding myself that I just didn't want to my thing would be to either blow up or just to shut down and like end mm-hmm. the, the relationship altogether. Did you have help at all, like someone to kind of talk you through the stages of what you're feeling, the stages of, of your intention or what you want to communicate? Or was it no. kind of self-guided at that point? It has been. That is definitely my strength and my weakness. Mm. I would say this stuff, it comes from, it has to come from being in, born in Iran and not being able to say anything because, and probably why find your voice has come across because I'm so, I, my inner voice had to become my best friend then. So mm-hmm. my weakness is I will literally hold everything in and self-coach. I do, I do that. So during that time, I was self-coaching and I was using all my cognitive behavior tools. And that is this, that's why this conversation with Sophia and how I prepped for it and the healing I did beyond that is how it transformed to find your voice, which is stories with the reflection guide. It's all around cognitive behavior. It's all about mm-hmm. understanding your emotional intelligence. At the end of it, what I was writing to practice with her, the essence of it was what are my bottom lines? And my bottom line was I had to move out. And I felt incredibly guilty for that because I was like, I'm her help, I'm also part income, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So my bottom line is I had to move out, and I had every right to do so. And everything leading up to that, I, and I wanted to tell Sophia, I wanted to build a friendship with her, and rather than being a hard ass and just saying that, moving out, and probably burning that bridge, like perhaps I would have done in the past because I didn't have the courage or the energy or know how to be honest. Mm-hmm. It's raw and sucking vulnerable. Yeah. And that's the conversation we had, and that brought us closer. Wow. Yeah. So you mm-hmm. remained cool with each other afterwards? Like she's your friends? One of, she's, oh, yeah. She's one of my closest friends. We've taken girls' trips together since then. What I love about Sophia is when I did approach her, there was no ego there was no ego. She was like, wow. Like she almost, you don't know what you don't know. She didn't even realize the ways that she was coming across. Mm-hmm. And it was her own stress and her own, you know, uh, her own baggage. We're always crisscrossing baggage in life. Yeah, always. And it's why conflict is such, a, it's such an intimate exchange, um, especially if you want to, I mean, it's really easy to be like, to hell with you, I'm moving on. Um, mm-hmm. and, but it's different when you're like, I love you and I care about you and this is not working and it's not tolerable anymore and I'm still committed to finding a way to to be in relationship with each other. That is so, like, talk about showing your underbelly, you know, like that's because you can just get hurt again or lose the person you care about and or not be met with the, like, um, wanting to remain in relationship. Yes. It's, there's a lot of easy outs, but what happens is you just repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. You Absolutely. Know, so, <laughs> yes. You yes. know, your life is about love and relationships and uh, connecting. That is mm-hmm. what makes us feel the most alive. So there was still that guilt. So this was a planned conversation. There was still that guilt. And Sophia was a safe enough place and person that deserved my honesty. So if that initial conversation, I came to her and told her my vulnerable, raw scar about I feel like a failure with the nonprofit and my relationship and I'm here and I'm depleted, I really have nothing. She could have taken that moment to compare it to something of hers or done a, oh, I'm sorry, baby, or something like that would have maybe not made that place feel safe. So mm-hmm. first and foremost, Sophia deserved my truth. She deserved my honesty and to see my raw 
my raw vulnerability. So um, after that, when I felt the guilt, I made, like, I made a vow that I wanted to have a healthy relationship with her. So I would go back and talk to her about that. Even out of my own baggage would try to overcompensate by offering to do things for free. But because of the freaking honest conversation I had in the first place and because of the kind of woman she is, she wouldn't even let me. No, Sahar, you don't need to do that. No, Sahar, you don't need to feel guilty. Sahar, don't you know how much your friendship and just being around is a value to me? It's important also to understand that when you do find and use your voice, that the other party may not honestly deserve your truth all the time. That's such a great distinction. That's so good. (laughs) Yeah. To find people that are worthy of hearing your truth. Yes. Um, and that's, you know, that's a, one of those tricky lines of when you use your voice, you'll have the guilt and sometimes the guilt or whatever after effect that you may feel could be from the other party's baggage. And that's why understanding that internal conversation, understanding how you're constantly transcribing the world, it's important for you to understand what's the fiction and nonfiction. This is not a matter of tuning in and overanalyzing all the darn time. It's mm-hmm. just when, <laughs> that's not what this is about. Right. You know, uh, when you first start, I mean, a great practice is when your mood shifts, be it for the better or for the worse. When your mood shifts, just tune in. What am I repeating? What's going on in my head? What am I visualizing? Maybe it's not words. Just do that. That's the first mm-hmm. practice in finding your voice and emotional yeah, just- intelligence. Yeah, tuning into what your moods are. And as soon as you feel your mood shift, oh my God, I'm feeling so joyous, or oh my God, I'm feeling so depleted or pissed or whatever. As soon as you're feeling that shift, like instead of just riding out the feeling in your body, focus in on your mind and what are the words? What is the tone of your voice even? Are you snarky? Are you flirty? Are you courage, courageous? And begin to get to really know your personality on the inside. Because we filter a lot. Our true selves are dying to get out. But they're just trying to decipher through all this baggage. Yeah, and it's such a, I I totally agree. I think our true personalities are definitely trying to get out. And it, it seems like mistakes are inevitable. And that whether we like it or not, we impact others. So when you're becoming more bold or you're being more expressive, there's an impact on everybody around you. And sometimes people go for it and love it. And sometimes people are like, ooh, I don't like this new part of you. (laughs) Can you, like, take that elsewhere? Or that's not part of the kind of unspoken agreement we had around how we show up in relationship with each other. It's interesting to notice how will want to raise your awareness around your mood. Like you said, that's so great. And then to start to notice the impact that you have on other people and take responsibility for that. And then again, kind of sort this, like the fiction and nonfiction, like where is that response, like that, that boundary of what, what, can, what am I responsible for and what am I not responsible for? Yes, so, exactly. Earlier you mentioned about, you know, shift when you feel the fire in your gut and how you can shift that to be more, um, to serve you better and shift it through your body. Can, do you have like maybe an example of a situation where you experienced that and then kind of take us through the process of, of how you shifted your energy? Sure. Well, the first and foremost, like getting in out of your comfort zone, for me that was performing dance, was a real great way to learn. My, I'm an absolute believer that you really change in the moment when you're triggered. So um, you can find triggers that are safe, such as um, maybe improv or even just taking a dance class. You don't have to perform. Just taking a dance class can be pretty um, adrenaline producing, especially if you have to like do a face to face with a partner of any of a stranger, you know. So, actually putting yourself in these situations that are physically uncomfortable, and finding your way through it, be it breathing, squeezing your butt. Uh, Sometimes, if I'm, my knees are weak, I'll go into the restroom to do squats, 
Um, breathing is always good, and it's not Lamaze breathing that everyone can mm-hmm. see. This is the the yogic breathing where you are trying to make each inhale and each exhale between three to five seconds long. And mm-hmm. when we're actually, when we're born, we breathe at a hundred percent. What that means is. When you inhale, you're going all the way down to your gut. Like you can feel your belly button come up. You can feel your lower back expand. And then your ribs. And then your chest. It actually goes all the way down to the bottom. When we grow up, we lose about 80% of that. So we're usually just breathing in our chest. That's another great way to bring it back to center. It's just literally the slow breath. You don't need to focus and, and zone out to follow it all the way down. Nope. Just take that inhale until you feel the corners of your lower back expand. And then you're slowly exhaling through your nose. It, no one even has to know it's happening. But I go back to squeezing my butt. That's my most effective when I don't want to tear up, when I feel um, any rage or anger, something that wants me to explode, um, when I feel my voice shaking. I, I go to that. For every person that's different, um, these are try to find things that can actually help people in, in the moment, but every person is different. Every personality is different. That's why I really encourage you to go do something uncomfortable. That's safe. Mm-hmm. You know, like the, the improv and the dance. And um, if you've never taken yoga class, go to yoga class and make yourself go to the front and feel how... You know, you're probably aware of people watching you or you're aware of your balance. How do you recoup? How do you recover? What is that like for you? What do you say inside? What are your body parts? Do you sometimes I used to squeeze a nail into my palm to take all the focus there? Like, how do you adjust? My answer is not your answer. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Maybe for some, maybe some people will be squeezing butts right, right along with me. Who knows? But <laughs> yeah. some people feel like their feet, like more of their trying to root their feet or drop the shoulders or mm-hmm. the exactly. belly breathing is always a good one too. Yeah. A lot of times people are like, well, I don't want them to see me freaking out. I don't want, you know, it's different for everyone. And it, you got to put yourself in those situations so you can know how you react. The more you prepare, the better. And I don't mean prepare like practice in the mirror. I'm saying put yourself in those uncomfy situations. Yeah, that are more spontaneous. It can be spontaneous or not. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, it's more adrenaline producing. It's more um, vulnerable. It's just uncomfortable. So when you get into those uncomfortable situations, you'll feel what it's like inside. Um, and you need to, because once you do, then you'll understand how can I funnel this to my benefit. Mm-hmm. And then notice and kind of notice the pattern and then choose a new way so you can have more freedom. Mm-hmm. I know that you have experience with, you know, being like a step parent and working with other parents and around um, having difficult conversations. Can you share a, a little about that? Yes. Um, there was a a lovely part of my journey that I did get to be a a step-parent to a lovely girl who was in middle school. And parenting is difficult, and coming in from the outside is an especially um, tough balancing act. It takes a village, and it truly does. And in my experience, it was um, framing the conversation all around the greater good of the child. But where... I found the most benefit in a practice that I love doing, um, and I did with her as well as some kids that I mentor, especially kids who, you know, I'm in Houston. We recently had Hurricane Harvey. So right now the PTSD is pretty hardcore. You know, these kids, lightning or thunder come around. These kiddos are having flashbacks and a hard time. And I have been taking journals where I – will write some questions or give them a space to doodle. And this is a journal that's passed back and forth between myself and once upon a time my stepdaughter and now my mentees. Um, And I also give them 
when they pass it back, it's not just a one-way street in terms of let me just read your answers. I actually ask them to ask me questions as well. Of course, I developed a relationship, but this works great with parents. You already have the relationship um, with your child, so you can ask the deeper questions. And the reason for this is eye contact is so difficult. I mean, there are so many adults in my group courses. I have women up to 72 years old that are trying to find and use their voice. So you can, it's difficult for everyone, man or woman. It really is. Mm-hmm. So some of that is just finding the words. Some of that is just this, just like you and I did the visualization and breathing before we got on our call. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. And you asked me to sit atop of all my integrity. And I, and I was like, wow, how do I even visualize that? Like, I need more mm-hmm. time with that, you know? So it's mm-hmm. the same thing with these kiddos. Like, with tweens and teens, I hear it time and time again from parents. I just give the one-word answers or they're just into their phone. Well, mm-hmm. this is a great way to get them out of their phone. This is a great way to have them talk a little bit more. Are they going to be a little bit resistant? They may be. And if they are towards you, find this other person that can pass this journal back and forth. It's worked wonders for me from sixth grade to seniors in high school. It's really allowed them to be able to articulate because it's so hard to articulate feelings. We just want to push them away or find quick solutions. Rarely do we allow ourselves to feel it out. Mm -hmm. So you would have a journal and then you'd pick like a a certain issue like why aren't you doing your homework or I don't know, any point of conflict and then they would just write a dialogue back and forth? Um, Not necessarily. I think that's a little too direct. Um, Um, You know, it's more... Let me think of, okay, I'll do it with an example with um, a young man that I'm working with right now. He is 19, and he has blown up a little bit with his parents, and he's also um, has been abusive with his girlfriend. So he's put hands on her, gave her, gave her a black eye. Um, and he feels really bad about that. He feels bad about things he said to his parents. So for me, I'm not going to directly talk about those in, in the first couple of questions. For me, it's tell me what you're really into. I'm trying to think of exact questions I asked him. Hold on. Let me get in there. Get in my mind. So first with him, it was simple questions. How did you wake up? How did you feel when you woke up this morning? Mm-hmm. Um, what are things you think you are good at? Mm-hmm. Where do you see yourself in three years? If you could change anything, what would it be? You know, just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. We're, we're showing them emotional intelligence. We're, yeah. as mentors, educators, counselors, if I were to say it in three words, it's show, don't tell. So how do you get mm. that? What are, what are questions you could poke around where they can talk about their – and you've got to start a little light. What's life like for you? How do you want to change mm-hmm. life? What is a trip you want to take? What's an experience? What about a concert? Um, what is a hard conversation you had at school? Who's a good friend? Who's not a good friend? How do you deal with that? And begin to start asking them for more solutions. What do you think about? How should we handle this? Once, we, once I was able to see that he was opening up and just showing me more of his personality, because face-to-face, he was not really very open to talking to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and he knew it was a setup with his parents, and it was just he wasn't open to it. And if the kid's not open to it, you're not going to get anywhere. I've been one of those kids when I was 16 and forced to go to a therapist. It was just a lot more centered in trying to get to know him as an individual, what does he find important? What annoys him? What gets him fired up? And then it led into the more constructive things of what happened right before you raised your hand? What do you want to do differently? What is your part? What is their part? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's been That's powerful it's been work. It's really powerful. And sometimes um, 
it's not in words. And I do ha- give them the space to draw, to draw. And then I ask as you're drawing, if certain words pop up, can you just write that word in the scenery? Mm-hmm. Um, if they're not willing to do any of those things, we bust out a coloring. I give them a coloring book and I say, okay, you know, color these. You don't even have to finish them, but I just ask as you're coloring, whatever words or messages pop up, you write that in the page. And then you'll notice, like, the colors will be red or black, or if they're sad, they're in the grays and the blues, and then FUs or why didn't you believe me? You know, little statements like that will, will reveal themselves. Um, it's really hard to articulate your feelings, especially if you're tween or a teen. You don't know what you don't know. So our job is to help them navigate that, to help them feel the anger, the frustration, the sadness, the joy, and how to navigate all those things. Because what we don't learn is that there's a positive side to a negative emotion. So sadness is there for a Say that one more time. So what we don't learn is there is a positive side to our negative emotions. Amen, sister. Yes, that's true. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So... Sadness is a little warning. Sadness is still hopeful. Sadness is saying, yoo-hoo, pay attention to me before I turn into depression. Mm-hmm. Nervousness is hopeful. Nervousness, there's still a chance to talk her into not being that way. Nervousness is the stage before anxiety. There are these hopeful negative emotions where it hasn't set into depression or anxiety or, uh, you know, in some cases, OCD, in some cases, you can't help that. And there's several other ways to go about it, um, you know, panic, panic attacks and saying a victim and such. So tune into your emotions when they're still hopeful. Um, when you're sad, and uh, let yourself feel it out before it hardens. Mm-hmm. I'm so moved and inspired by, I mean, getting a, a glimpse into your journey that I read about in your book of of how much emotion that you've worked through and how much despair and hopelessness you've totally you're tra- you're tra- you've transformed and are now helping so many others it's incredible but I'm so proud of you <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's the right word but I'm just I'm really moved by it and um it's it's so remarkable that you're doing this and you're helping to give language to something that's so visceral and it's not easy work. So it's awesome. Well, I'm proud of you too. I mean, let's face it. There's enough hurt and confusion in the world that we need all of our sisters to support linking elbows and making a wave of healing across the world. Mm -hmm. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for honoring my story and holding space for it. And I'm so glad our paths have crossed. Ditto. Can I ask you a couple final questions that I like to ask everybody at the end? Absolutely. Sure. Um, so one of uh, Marianne Williamson's, one of her, her quotes, she talks about owning our divine gifts. And um, I think that's something I, I love seeing women own their talents and their gifts and hearing them talk about it. And um, so I was curious, like, what are you most proud of and about who you are today and how far you've come and what you're up to? It's permission to brag about yourself. (laughs) I am proud of... I'm proud of sticking to find your voice. The journey's not easy. Uh, journey's not easy, and um, I just remember her. And her is the girls, the women, and even him. I don't want anybody getting in their own way. Like, that's my, that's my work. And you need a lot of stamina to do this work. Um, mm-hmm. do, do the work to, for yourself. Do the work to help others. And that's what I'm most proud of is just sticking, sticking true to that. And even when it gets hard that it's not about me being this strong find your voice person, that it comes, I stay to the essence of find your voice, which is 
figuring out how to get it, get through it gracefully. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would be the most proud of the fact that I, I stay honest with my triumphs and my pitfalls. And I'm so grateful for being given this voice um, and the courage that I have. Um, but that pretty much sums it up. Okay. And when all is said and done and, you know, you've passed on, what do you want your life to be for? You know, another way to think about it is, um, you know, what will you have been added added to the world from your presence here? To show her it's possible. (laughs) And you're doing that. That's awesome. Do you have a prayer or a wish for our country or the world or the planet? Oh, patience. Mm-hmm. Be patient with the person in front of you. Be patient with the stranger. Um, and be patient with the change because change doesn't happen overnight. And we need stamina. When I get tired, you will rise. When you get tired, I will rise. We have to be patient, but the shift is happening. Beautiful. Is there anything you want to mention or add? Just grateful. Grateful to be here. For anyone who's curious about Find Your Voice, you can go to findyourvoice.center. Got some free goodies there. And I'm across all platforms um, as Sahar Paz, and I'd love to give away any tidbits about emotional intelligence or my stories of ups and downs, I share pretty openly. So um, I love to share and I love to hear. I'm a pretty darn good listener and would uh, I love to hear real women's stories and even men. So have some really cool and interesting challenges coming up for my social community around speaking up and courage and assertiveness. Look out for that this spring, and thank you so much for having me, Emily. Thank you so much for sharing your story and for being here. Really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. Again, that was Sahar Paz, and you can find her at findyourvoice.center. If you have a story to share or an experience that helped you find your voice, I'd love to hear from you. Please go to she'sheard.com and click on the button that says share my story. If you'd like to stay in touch, please sign up for our newsletter for updates on the latest releases and opportunities to connect. And tune in to the next episode. More inspiration, wisdom, and insight is on the way. Until next time, standing in our collective liberation, be well.